Amen. All things are possible in Jesus' name. You know, it's even possible for some people to come to maturity in Christ, isn't it? Amen. Take a miracle for some, for others not. You have your Bibles this morning, turn to James chapter 2, James chapter 2, as we're looking at a series that we've entitled, The Price of Maturing as a Christian. By the way, I saw my shadow the other day, so <laughs> this series will be extended for a few more weeks. Somebody tagged me that in, on Facebook. If a pastor sees his shadow, he's going to extend that series. It's extended. I saw my shadow. So saddle up. We're going to have at least 10 more of these, okay? All right. But we're looking at the price of maturing as a Christian. Today I want to talk to you about sincerity. If we are to mature as a child of God, if we are to mature in our Christian walk, if we are to mature as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, folks, we have to be sincere within our faith. And the sad thing is there's a lot of people in a lot of churches who are not sincere in their faith. You see, we're looking at the cost of, matu of maturity in this series. And, and as we said a couple of weeks ago, some think that maturity happens, you know, if a person's been saved for a certain amount of years. In other words, you know, maybe it's five years and they reach maturity. Maybe it's ten years and they reach maturity. That is not the case. Longevity in your salvation will not make you mature. You know, some people think, well, as long as I come to church, then I am a mature Christian. There's an old saying that says, nothing in life is free. And that includes our maturing as children of God. Listen, there is a price to be paid if you want to mature in your Christian walk. The first price that we looked at in this series was that of trials. If you are going to mature in your faith, it is going to entail some trials within your life and you're learning to trust in Christ to get you through those trials, that you persevere in those trials. Then we talked about how the study of Scripture is so important in our maturing in Christ. If you are not in the Word on a daily basis studying the Word of God, you will never mature as a child of God. I don't care if you're in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. If you are not in the Word of God, you will never reach maturity in Christ because that is what it takes. Now, it's impossible for a person to mature as a Christian if they do not spend quality time in the Bible. I'm not talking about, you know, reading a verse a day. I'm talking about spending time, quality time in the Bible. Now, let's look at the third price that's to be paid if you or I will ever mature as a Christian, and that is sincerity. Many look at themselves as mature in the faith, and in reality, as we saw last week, they are only like one, James says, who looked in a mirror, looked at themselves in a mirror, and they walk away not knowing who they really are. 
A person like this does not know what it means to have a sincere walk with Jesus Christ. They're like the ones who Paul said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You know, sincerity is more than simply getting saved. Sincerity is more than simply joining a church. Sincerity in your faith, you know, is more than simply coming to church. Sincerity in your faith has to do with the way that we treat others and how we think about others. Now, here in this second chapter, James points out some pretty serious things about this idea of sincerity. First of all, true faith is no respecter of persons. Let's look at verse 1. He just starts it right off. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the glory, the Lord of glory, with respecter of persons. In other words, don't allow your faith in Christ to, to cause you to have respecter of person. In fact, if your faith in our Lord and Savior, Savior Jesus Christ is a sincere faith, you will not have be a respecter of persons. What he's saying is, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord, yet you favor some people over others? James begin this chapter letting us know that the faith we have in Christ is a faith of impartiality. Okay? It's, in it's, a, it's a faith of impartiality toward all men. And that's what sincerity is all about. It's being sincere in our walk with Christ, knowing that Christ died for all mankind. No matter their background, no matter their color, no matter their social standing, no matter the amount of money they make or the kind of clothes they wear, true faith in Christ, folks, is sincere of, with no respecter of persons. You see, partiality shows inconsistency. Partiality shows insincerity. And partiality shows immaturity in one's life. Basically, what this is saying is that when one is sincere in their faith, they view everyone on the same level through Jesus Christ. Once a person has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, folks, all God sees when he looks down upon them is the blood of Jesus Christ. And our, we should be the same way. Once a person is saved, once a person is washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, what we should see is that blood of Jesus Christ in and on their life. He sees, God sees no color. He sees no social class. He sees, he doesn't see Republican or Democrat. He sees no Baptist, no Methodist, no Assembly of God. He sees no drunkard. He sees no uh, druggie. He sees no prostitute. It doesn't matter what a person has done within their past. Once they are under the blood of Jesus Christ, folks, we're all on the same level. And there should be no treating one person one way and treating other people another way within the church once one is saved and we have the faith of our lord jesus christ the lord of glory we should be no respecter of persons as we're all the same in jesus christ james wants us to understand that and when we begin becoming mature in christ that is our attitude that is our attitude. We don't look down on others for who they might be, you know, their color again, you know, their religion or whatever. If they're in the blood of Jesus Christ, if they've been saved through the faith, by grace, you know, through the blood of Jesus Christ, folks, we got to look at them the same as we look at ourselves because we're all washed in the blood. 
Now, after opening by exhorting us to be impartial, James then gives some illustration here in verse 2 through 4. And this, in this illustration that James points out, he points out a number of things. Let's look at verse 2 through 4. For if there comes one into your assembly, now what has he just told us? That our faith, true respect, faith in Jesus Christ, does not have respect of persons, right? He says, so if uh, someone comes into your assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there comes in another, a poor man with vile raiment, and you have respect for him that weareth the gay clothing, and you say to him, hey, why don't you sit right here in this good place? Why don't you just come right up here in the front? And then you say to the poor, why don't you just kind of stand back there? Why don't you kind of just get in the corner back there? Why don't you kind of just sit on the back row, the back row? Why don't you just sit, he says here, under my footstool? Now look at verse 4. If this is the way a church is, if this is the way the people are in that church, he says, are you not partial in yourselves? Now, look at this. This is pretty tough by James. And are become judges of evil thoughts. Now, do you think James may be saying there you're an evil person if you have respecter of persons? If you tell one person to sit in this nice chair because of what they have, and you tell another person to sit in the back out of the way because of what they don't have, James says you're being a respecter of person, and that is evil. That is evil. Let's look at this illustration of impartiality. Here's the situation. You know, two people visit the church, one with nice clothes, okay, and, and expensive jewelry, and the other is wearing dirty clothes. Now, here's the response of the church. The, the, the rich is invited to sit in the best seat in the house. Okay? The poor is told, stand in the corner or just sit on the floor. The result, you have just shown partiality, you've judged another, and you have sinned against God. God help us. And you know what? You're a very immature person. When it comes to your Christian walk. Look, anytime we show partiality, we're judging another and we're not sincere in our faith. You see, partiality is more than just an error in judgment. Showing partiality, folks, is a sin. It is a sin. And if we're mature in our faith, we will not do it. We will not show partiality. So many times, you know, in so many churches, people who are less financial status, you know, they're treated different than those of a upper financial status. You know, this is the one of the, this is the main reason, and you know, that I do not, you know, know who gives what in this church. You know, I see the financial statement the same way y'all do on the uh, uh, business meeting. Tonight is our business meeting. You know, I'll see the financial statement. But as far as who gives what, I have, I, I, don't, I don't know. I have no idea who gives what. And you know what? I don't want to know. And you know why I do not want to know? The reason is because I'm not tempted at that point to treat some people better than others. Because if I know who gives what, 
And I know over here that, boy, old brother Gerald, he's a, he's a good giver here. You know, I'm going to make sure I don't upset him. You know, I, you know this sermon I'm going to preach Sunday, you know, there may be some stuff in there that's going to upset him. So I'm going to kind of move that stuff to the side. Because I don't want to upset brother Gerald because he's a good giver in the church. But now, oh, Pam, my goodness. You know, she don't give nothing. If she does, she throws a dollar bill in there and then beats her chest. Look what I've done. Now, you know what? I may even put some messages together to shoot right at her. Do you see my point, though? I don't know who gives what. Therefore, I am not tempted to treat some people better than I do others. And you know what? I like it that way. Because that way, I'm free to shoot at everybody. (laughs) Okay? That way, I'm free to shoot at everybody. Look, what he's saying here, in a lot of cases, people of the upper financial class don't even attend small churches. I want you to think about that. There's a lot. Now, there's some, okay? But there's a lot of people who are in an upper financial class. They're not going to even attend a small church that may not have people in their class, okay? In their financial class or social class, okay? And in either case, these people are being respecter of persons, thereby they are judging, thereby they are sinning. They are not sincere in their faith, and they will never mature as a Christian. You see, in many cases, the ones we favor are the very ones God rejects. Now, think about that statement. In many cases, the ones we give favor to, the one we show special treatment, the ones we will put above others are the very ones that God looks at and says, nope. Where do I get such a weird thought? Look at verse 5. Hearken. Now, well, that word hearken is a King James word that says you better listen up. (laughs) You better listen what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is something very important. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Now, who's he talking to? Brethren, the church. Okay? Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you, who's he addressing this to? The brethren, the church. You have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme uh, that worthy name of which you are called? Now, I like the way the New Century Version puts this, because here's the way the New Century Version translates this verse. Listen, my dear brethren and sisters. God chose the poor of this world, to be rich in faith and to receive the kingdom of God promised to those who love him. Now, let's read on there. But you show no respect to the poor. Now, James, again, is talking to the church. God has chosen the poor, and he's made them rich through their faith. But you have shown no respect to the poor. The rich are always trying to control your life. Boy, if you don't think the rich is trying to control our life, you better stay out of politics. (laughs) 
Why do you think we have so much corruption in politics in Washington and even Austin here in the States? Because the rich are controlling those in office with what? Dinero. Okay? Dinero. So he says this. And in the church, it's the same way. Again, some churches give more favor to those who are rich rather than those who are poor. But he goes on, but you show no respect for the poor. The rich are always trying to control your life. They are the ones who take you to court. Now look at this verse 7. And they are the ones who speak against Jesus who owned you. Who owned you. You see, some feel if they're not committing a big sign or a big sin, should we say, that everything's okay. But look here. When Jesus was here on the earth, he spent the majority of his time ministering to those whom the church had turned their back on because of their social status or because of their financial status. Think about Jesus. Go to the Gospels and read the Gospels. Who did Jesus focus on while he was here? The poor, the outcast, the needy. Okay? The church turned their back on them because of their social status. The church, I'm talking about the Pharisees, they turned their back on them because of their financial status. But the sincerity of Christ's faith did not, uh, did not allow him to minister to people based upon their status socially or financially. Jesus never, Jesus never partial one due to what they did or did not have. Look, James is warning us that many times the very ones that we show favoritism toward because of what they have are the very ones who are trying to control our life and who speak against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And again, the Pharisees were a prime example of it. The whole three and a half years of Jesus' ministry here on this earth were condemning the Pharisees, the religious ones, okay, the church, for their actions in showing partiality. Now, one who shows respecter of persons, here's what they don't understand also is they are transgressors of the law. Now, what's it mean to be a transgressor of the law? It means you're a sinner, okay? You're violating the law of God. Look at verse 8. But... If you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and do well. In other words, if you're living by the law, your attitude will not be that of partiality. Your attitude will be that of loving your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you see the blood of Jesus Christ on them, not for what they used to be. Look at verse 9. But, here we go. If you have respect to persons, what's he say? You what? Say it. Commit sin. Wow. If you show respect to persons, you commit sins and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Verse 10. For whoso shall keep the whole law, and yet offend at one point, he is guilty of the entire law. 
For he that said, now I want you to notice what he, <laughs> I want you to notice here how James relates partiality to adultery and murder. Ooh, look what he says here. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit adultery, or excuse me, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, aren't thou become a transgressor of the law? So what James is saying, it doesn't matter if you commit adultery, if you commit uh, murder, or you commit partiality, you've transgressed the law of God. Therefore, it's all the same. You see, a sin is a sin. Okay, a sin is a sin. Whether it's the sin of uh, adultery or whether it's the sin of gossip of the ones talking about the ones who's committing adultery. Are you with me? That person doing the gossiping of the one who's committed adultery, you're on the same level. And that's what he's teaching here. Whether it's adultery, whether it's murder, whether it's partiality, you're all, James is saying, transgressors of the law. Therefore, you're all guilty. Some feel if they're not committing this big sin, you know, that God's not going to hold them accountable for their little sins. But listen to me, there's no big sin and little sin when it comes to God. Now, I know we as people, we as human beings, we as even the church sometimes try to categorize the big sins and the little sins. We want to church those involved in the big sins, but let the little sins be swept under the rug. But I don't know about you, but I see James saying sin is sin. And it's all on the same level. And if we are going to be mature in Christ, if we're going to reach maturity in Christ, we have to develop that attitude. That we can't show partiality for a person involved in this sin over a person involved in that sin. Look here. We're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. in verse 8. In verse 9, showing respect of person is violating the law to love our neighbor. And then in verse 11, showing respect of persons is of the same level as adultery or murder. You know, as you know. We, we set aside the fourth Saturday of each month as outreach weekend. And on that Saturday, we asked for those who would, you know, go visit the nursing homes. In other words, you know, two or three people who would say, all right, I want to commit the fourth Saturday of each month, one hour a day, and I'll go visit the nursing homes, you know, for those who are no longer able to care for themselves and get out. We asked for some who would be willing to, to go and visit our shut-ins, our, our people who are not in the nursing home, but they're not able to really get out of their house and, and no longer come to church. You know, we've asked for those who would spend one hour on that Saturday just going door-to-door -door and either witnessing or handing out flyers, inviting people to come to church. But also another ministry that we have, which we done yesterday because we had a funeral on the fourth uh, Saturday, so we went to Houston yesterday. And had some good visits yesterday, you know. But the people that we minister to in Houston, okay, they are people, street people, homeless people. And the sad thing about this ministry, folks, is we minister to people 
who a lot of churches wouldn't even allow to come through their doors. Are, are you hearing me? We've had people come to know Christ as a result of that ministry. Yet these are people who some churches wouldn't even let come through their door. You know why? Because of impartiality. Because they look at these people as low class people. And wouldn't even allow them in their church. You know what? That's a very immature church. Who has an attitude like that. In fact a church like that won't even send people to minister to people like that. Because they look at it as a waste of time. And a waste of money. And I want to thank those who are involved in that ministry. You know, those who go down there and, you know, and then Keith and all them, they're his bunch that has the van packed up. When we, All we got to do is get in the van and go. They got the hard work. We got the easy work. And I want to thank them for always having the van ready with clothes and hygiene bags and water and, you know, coats and, and blankets and everything. But my point is, those people, many churches would not even allow through the door so what James is saying is when we as individuals or we as a church begin showing respecters of persons we're transgressing the law of God the law of morality and justice in fact Leviticus chapter 19 18 says this if thou or thou should I say shall not avenge nor bear any grudge Against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor. As thyself. And then you know what God does. After he makes that statement. He puts his signature there. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. Folks that's not a suggestion. That's a command. That's a command. And if we are going to call ourselves. Mature Christians. We have to have the attitude of no respecter of persons. No respecter. Look, as Jesus spoke to the Pharisees one day about this very thing, he said to them, guys, the first, he was asked a question. They was always trying to trip him up. They asked him the question, what, what's the greatest commandment? You're so smart. You're so spiritual. What's the greatest commandment? And if you'll remember, Jesus looked him right in the eye and he said, the first and great commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, you know what? The second one is just like it. That you, 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 you would love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. So when we treat others different, then what we would treat ourselves, we're showing partiality. And what have we done, Saul? Partiality is a transgression of the law. What has James done said? You're on the same level as an adulterer or a murderer. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's some pretty serious stuff. It's a pretty serious stuff. It's sad to say, but many of our churches in America today, if Jesus walked through that door, I mean, it's Sunday morning, what, a quarter to 12? Most churches are still going on right now. But if Jesus was to walk in many churches this morning with his dusty clothes, with his dirty feet, 
with his long hair, with his beard. There are many churches that if they let him in, they would tell him, get over there. <laughs> get over there. Because we don't want some visitors seeing you thinking you're one of us. You say, I think that's taken a little too far, Brother Gene. No, it's not. Because you know why? Jesus didn't look like us. He didn't look like us. He wore sandals. His feet was dirty. He walked everywhere he went, so his clothes had dust on it. Okay? There was no barber shop, so to speak, so his hair was a little bit long. And his beard was a little bit long. He didn't look like us. So therefore, we would tell him to get in the corner. We don't want nobody thinking you're one of us. How sad, folks. How sad. That's a sin. Look, the last thought is this. The price for a lack of sincerity is the judgment of God. Look at verse 12. So speak ye and do so as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy. Whoa. Now again, what's the context here? Partiality. So what James is saying is when you stand before Jesus Christ, he is going to judge the way you treated others without any mercy. Now, I don't know about you. That's scary. That showeth no mercy and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What do we see here? Two things. No sin comes without consequence of a judgment of God. No sin. Adultery. Murder or even partiality. No sin comes without a consequence, a judgment of God. When you, when you think or when we think that we can transgress the law of God and there's not a price to be paid, you know, we don't fully understand God, folks. If you think that, you don't fully understand God. He's saying in verse 12, if everything you say, if everything you do, Remember that you're going to be judged for it. You better remember that. Look, we must show mercy to others. What he's saying in verse 13. Or when we stand before Jesus, he'll not show mercy to us. He'll not show mercy to us. James could be no clearer here. When we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ on that day, we're going to be judged as his children. For the way we lived our entire life and the sincerity that we have shown as Christian is going to be made known at that time. If we have not been sincere in the way that we treat others because we had no mercy on them, James is clear here in verse 13. God's not going to have mercy on you. And again, that's, that's scary. That is scary. Let me just close with these thoughts. As a church, we must never allow ourselves to become judgmental and partial to people based upon their looks, their financial status, their social status, or any other standard. Everybody should be welcome through those doors of Fairview Baptist Church. Don't care what they look like. Don't care their social standing. Don't care their financial standing. If they've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, 
they are just like us. If they haven't been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, in other words, if they're not saved, our job is to get them washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're still supposed to treat them on the same level as ourselves. Everyone is equal in Christ. The only standard we need to look at is found in John 13, 34, 35. Where Jesus said a new commandment I give to you. Let me stop there for just a moment. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Wasn't love already a commandment? Because the commandment said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And the other one's just like it, uh, you know, that you love your neighbor as yourself. So why does John come, or Jesus come along now and he says, well, I'm going to give you a new commandment. That commandment was in the, uh, uh, the Old Testament. That commandment was in the Ten Commandments. You know what Jesus meant when he said a new commandment I give you? We're under a new covenant at that time. Jesus, you know, the way we're saved. And here's what Jesus meant when he said a new covenant I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. The way he ends that is, and by this love shall men know that you're my disciples. In other words, Jesus was saying there's a new standard there's a new standard in which men are going to know that you're a Christian. A new standard of which men are going to know you're a Christian. And that new standard is the way you love and treat others. That's what he meant by that. Here's the new standard. When people see there's no partiality in your life. When people see that you love others just like you love yourself. When people see that you don't treat others different just because of who they are. Just because what they look like. Just because of the color of their skin. Just because of their past. That new standard of love will let others know that you belong to me. That you belong to me. Let me just ask you a question in closing here. Can the people that you're around on a daily basis look at you and as a result of the way that you treat and talk about others, let's don't forget the jaw flapping here, okay? But can people look at the way that you treat others and the way that you talk about others and say they must be a child of God? Or do they listen to the way you talk about others and the way you treat others? Say, I thought they was a Christian. I thought they was a Christian. You know what? Only you can answer that question. But don't forget, if you're showing partiality to people, whether it's on your job, in the schools, uh, you know, in the church, or, you know, wherever it might be, you're a transgressor of the law. And James says you're no better than an adulterer or a murderer. So let us this morning examine our hearts. Let, let, let us this morning ask ourselves a question and be sincere about it. Do I sometimes look at others and show partiality? Do I sometimes look at a person and say, that person must not be saved? My gosh, look at the way they look. 
Go look in the mirror. <laughs> may shock you what you really look like, okay? Not that none of you are ugly or nothing. Y'all are all beautiful people, but I'm talking about it in a spiritual sense. I think you know what I'm talking about. Let us, as Fairview Baptist Church, which is who? You. Let us never be guilty of showing partiality to anyone who walks through those doors. Let's pray. Father God. Amen.